Welcome back to Behavioral Health 2.0. My name is Suki Norris, and today we are further exploring social determinants of health. You know, the social determinants of health include five separate pillars. We've been focused the last few weeks on the first pillar, social and community context. Within this context, we've talked about loneliness, about social connection, about community connection. Today, we're gonna talk about incarceration. And this one's been a little bit more difficult because incarceration is something you read about, you hear about, but many of us, many of us don't experience it. Today, I'm going to take you through a, a walk through the realities of incarceration in 2021. Incarceration truly is a key element of social and community context because it brings together the inequities that we've been discussing in health and really the very nature of social determinants of health. Generally, incarceration is confinement in a jail or prison, or the act of imprisoning someone, or the state of being in prison. Nelson Mandela, who spent so many years incarcerated, said, no one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. A nation should not be judged by how it treats its highest citizens, but its lowest ones. If that truly is the case, we have work to do in this nation. We're going to look at why. Why is it that incarceration in the United States is probably the number of people we have incarcerated in the United States outnumbers any other major country. And we'll look at those numbers in a little bit. It gave you a definition for incarceration, but let's kind of look at it more focused on it. Incarceration means being in jail or prison and includes both that pre and post sentencing. Some people can spend up to two years pre-sentencing, meaning, or even pre-trial, meaning the, the, the person gets arrested, they're put in jail. It takes maybe two years for them to see, to get in front of a judge. And then if found guilty, they could spend another several months waiting for a sentencing. A synonym, which I will use fairly often in this, is to incarceration is imprisonment, which, think about this, is the act of taking away someone's freedom and putting that person in a prison. I think both definitions are really important and should be remembered as we talk today. Remember that the social determinants of health focus on those non-medical factors of our health that show an imbalance in the quality of life and in essence, the quality of health care. We've talked about loneliness and social cohesion and civic participation 
and discrimination. Incarceration envelops each of these topics because the family of the incarcerated family member and their, and their friends and colleagues or community all suffer from loneliness when that incarcerated person is taken away. It uproots the individual and community relationships, as I said, and there is a embedded discrimination in who is incarcerated, the numbers of those people. And you'll see that it follows very definitely what we've talked about in previous webin in previous podcasts, including the last one on discrimination. Because the incarceration of black men is six times the rate of white men. With this high incidence of incarceration, the impact on the community and the impact on health, it's logical to conclude that this is a social determinant of health. Now, what we're going to do today, once we look at the statistics, is we're going to take each group of people, in incarcerated people, and look at what it means to them, meaning the elderly, men, and women. And we're going to look at how the issues of confinement, the issues of perhaps inequities in our prison system affect each of these groups a little differently. Currently, there are over 2 million people in our prisons and jails. And that includes a 500% increase over the last 40 years. Now, many of us know that one of the things that, there are two things that happened in the last 40 years of note. One is the crackdown on, on drugs and the, and the number of arrests through, due to drug crimes. The other is determinate sentencing, where judges were given prescribed amounts for sentencing and three strikes, you're out. So if a person was arrested for drugs three times, meaning they couldn't get clean and they got arrested again, they could face years in jail just as a result of those, of those drug crimes. There's an overall incarceration rate of 639 people per 100,000. That includes Blacks, Native Americans, Asians, Latinx, white. Black men are six times as likely to be incarcerated as white men, and Latinos are 2.5 times as likely. Think of it this way. For a black man in his 30s, one in 12 is in prison on any given day. I, I hinted before that our imprisonment rate is greater than any country. Think of it this way. We are higher than any other country, including Russia and China. We have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's incarcerated. For folks who were born in 2001, making them now 20 years old, one in nine 
men are in jail. And this represents one in three for black men and one in 17 for white men. For women, it's one in 56. And of those women, one in 11 are white and one in 18 are black. Interesting, incarceration rates have risen over the last 40 years. But you know what? Crime rates have dropped. Between 1993 and 2019, violent crime has decreased by 74% and property crime has decreased by 71%. So riddle me this, notwithstanding the drop in the crime rate, the incarcerations have increased as have the cost of prisons, because incarcerating people isn't an inexpensive choice. My guess is that it is, a, it is well in excess of the cost of treating people for their drug disease or their mental health, their substance use disorder, or their mental health problems. In 2016, the cost of the criminal justice system, including corrections, was $295 billion, roughly $134,400 per person detained. Now, only $88 billion of that directly goes to running jails and prisons. Based on that, the cost of per prisoner is about $44,000 a year. Frankly, well in excess of the minimum wage. In addition to the 44,000, there are innumerable indirect costs, such as the family's costs and the cost of a criminal record. It impacts housing, jobs, and yes, healthcare. The actual costs to any American taxpayer, whether black or white, is $63.4 billion. Interestingly, whether the, the incarcerated is a black person or a white person, one thing is pretty sure. The majority of those folks come from disadvantaged neighborhoods. Neighborhoods without good jobs, without good schools, without grocery stores, without open spaces. It is the nature of that disadvantage is the social and economic reality that drives the incarceration rate. If we look a little deeper into the incarceration rate, in 2015, older inmates were over 145,000 persons, and older is defined as 50 or over. And they're really considered a different category than younger inmates because of what brought them to jail, what their challenges are in jail, and the challenges of getting older anywhere 
especially in jail. The older inmates often in, in, involve career inmates or folks who had their first off offense after 50 and those that are just growing old in jail. There are three basic questions when addressing the need that, well, really considering older inmates. One, how do you address the needs of a population with limited mobility and, re and other related needs that come from getting older? How do you address their health needs? And what we'll be talking about next week is how do you address the challenges older inmates face on release? When prisons were designed, they weren't thinking about older inmates. So the design of prisons challenge older inmates because they're generally are stairs to a, or a long distance to a cafeteria and the cold and damp environment. In response to these, these issues, some, some inmates just give up and choose to engage. The health needs, <clears throat> excuse me, of older inmates include managing chronic disease, physical health problems, including arthritis, hypertension, venereal disease, ulcers, prostate problems, myocardial infarction, and emphysema. They may have problems regarding incontinence or sensory and, flexi sensory and flexibility impairment and limitations to gross physical functioning. They have the needs that people have when they grow older. Prisons are on, have to address these healthcare needs. And the other thing is that most of these older inmates really don't know how to take care of themselves or how to maintain their bodies. And as we'll see next week, older prisoners released into society face huge reentry problems because they don't have the flexibility or opportunity to make as many changes. If they've been in jail for a very long time, society may be just unfamiliar to the released prisoner. We hear stories often of people being released after 20 or 30 years looking at a cell phone and not understanding what a core feature it is to communication these days. Your family may be gone or dispersed. And there's limited housing. And we'll find, we'll talk about how the handoff of health information is really difficult and not managed by the prison. You know, growing old is difficult for most people, but if you're in prison, it becomes a, a huge difficulty. The other issue is that I said that older prison, prisoners were 50 years old. In today's world, people aren't really considered older until they're 60 or 70, but that's the impact of prison. People age much quicker than you do out in the world outside of incarceration. The large majority of men who are incarcerated under 50 are black men. They're a population that may have over 37% of the population has dropped out of school before their arrest. They're more likely to be 
it's interesting that black men are more likely to be arrested for drug crimes, while white men are more likely to be imprisoned for property crimes. In 2019, there were about 2 million people in prison. 93% of that population were male, which means that 3,567 over 100,000 men are currently in state and federal prisons. Females have a different problem. About 50% of the women in jail are women of color. Most of them are in their mid-30s and most likely to be convicted of a drug crime. Over 77% and maybe as many as 90% of these women have suffered emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. Prisons are ill-equipped to handle the gynecological needs of most women. They're just ignored. You know, we, I previously talked about the number of people in jail, which is about 2 million people. But one thing we overlook when we look at the numbers, and that is solitary confinement. There are currently approximately 80,000 prisoners in solitary confinement. Do you know that that number is almost equal to the number of the total number of people imprisoned in Britain? And yes, the United States is larger than Britain, but really, do we need 80,000 people in solitary confinement? When prisoners are in solitary confinement, they're in a cell that measures between six by nine and eight by 10. They remain in that cell with no personal contact between 22 and 24 hours per day. While not illegal in all 50 states, the UN expert on torture found that it should only be used in exceptional cases and never with children or with the disabled. While many states have enacted policies to limit the use of solitary confinement, 40 states have created supermax prisons that are extent, extensively, exclusively uh, solitary confinement, and they're designed to hold prisoners in long-term isolation. Now, when we look at the entirety of the number incarcerated, it is not a far stretch to realize that we never built prisons to a to really house 2 million people. So what are prisons doing? Well, they're putting three people in a cell that really only covers one person. In some states, judges have forced the release of inmates due to overcrowding. While being in a cell is better than solitary confinement, some courts still find overcrowding cruel and unusual punishment. Do you know when, when I first read about prisons when I was much younger, they were designed, or we were told they were designed to re rehabilitate the prisoner, to create somebody, to give them the tools necessary to not commit crime when they got out of prison. And they called that rehab. So my question to you is, what are prisons now? Rehab or warehouse? You might well guess that currently we are concerned that prisons have become warehousing rather than rehabilitation. And really all we're doing is warehousing prisoners 
for the length of their stay. We're focused more on punishment than rehabilitation. So the result is that when prisoners leave prison, they don't have job, job training. They don't have education. Do you know that many years ago, job training, education was a staple in prisons? 20 years ago, prisoners were actually able to get job skills and a college education while in prison. Today, they're warehoused with few opportunities to gain skills that will support them when released. There is also a high incidence of mental health problems within the incarcerated population. In 1980, the Federal District Court in Texas issued a ruling, Ruiz versus Estelle. And this addressed six criteria of mental health care and further required jails to act as follows. One, a standard screening or program for screening and evaluation of mental health needs upon entry of jail. Active treatment while in jail, not just supervision. Treatment by trained individuals. Maintenance of records for historical purposes and for handing care off. Using medication practices per the AMA and not for other reasons. Identifying, supervising, and treating suicidal prison prisoners. You might guess that most prisons don't follow these requirements. Many prisoners come to prison with mental health issues, such as loneliness or anxiety. You know that Issues such as loneliness might lead a person to crime just to gain acceptance. Or crime might help that person to self-regulate, to manage their anxiety. But once in jail, the stress inherent in incarceration often brings on loneliness, anxiety, depression, life dissatisfaction, and most importantly, suicidality. The difficult conditions described and that we've talked about already, the attitudes of custodial staff lead to the deterioration of the prisoner's mental health and such that over 50% of people in jail have a mental health problem, a diagnosable mental health problem. They can also affect the prisoner's safety between Two to 8% of prisoners with severe mental health problems are more likely to be sexually victimized while incarcerated. Older prisoners face additional problems. They have more challenging time coping with the stress of prisons. 78% indicate they had trouble dealing with other prisoners. While there are no numbers of how many prisoners have Alzheimer's disease, it's likely that as the population of older prisoners grows, so does the likelihood of dementia. Court cases have continued to, to, or to uh, decide that you, it's not enough to medicate the mentally ill, you have to provide services. But as the population ages, that the cost of that, those services will too. 
I raised before that women prisoners have a high incidence of trauma in their lives. Remember, 74% of women in, in prison meet the criteria for substance dependence. 68 of them were physical or sexually abused. One study found that the women in prison suffered their abuse before the age of 16, making them 980% more likely to need mental health treatment. Mental health treatment that's not available for them in jail. Physical health doesn't fare any better for people incarcerated. In Estelle versus Gamble, the Supreme Court determined that the deliberate failure of prison authorities to address an inmate's medical needs constitutes cruel and unusual punishment and held that the deliberate indifference to serious medical needs of a prison prisoners constitutes the unnecessary and wanton infliction of pain. The result is that in many instances, the inmate might receive better and more consistent healthcare in prison than in outside. Do you realize that many prisoners or individuals enter prison without ever having received consistent health care? And it's important they receive health care because prison isn't only a loss of freedom, <clears throat> but it's also a hotbed of disease, as you might well imagine. They have a higher, higher odds of hypertension, asthma, arthritis, cancer, and hepatitis. Tuberculosis is found in prison and is one of the top 10 causes of mortality worldwide. It's an airborne disease. And remember that the overcrowding of prisons is putting people in much closer contact and helping the spread of TB. Hepatitis C, often related to the use of illicit drugs, appears often in prison. And unlike the majority of the world, inmates are at a high risk for HIV. And it comes from sharing needles, no use of condoms and unsafe tattooing, all that goes, along, goes, goes on behind bars and all add to the risk of HIV. Once prisoners are diagnosed, the availability of those antiretroviral treatment is difficult and the stress of prison exacerbates the diagnosis. Similar to the rest of the world, COVID-19 hit prisons hard. In fact, prisons still to this day have a disproportionate share due to the close surroundings, the horrendous airflow, and less than hygiene, surround, and less than hygiene surroundings. The rate of infection in a prison is 696 per 100,000 compared to 250 per 100,000 in the community. The rate of death exceeds the community by three times. The reality is that to provide care to people in prison, we have to consider the same standard of care that we would apply to our communities, including testing and vaccinations and hygiene and airflow. While the diseases that were mentioned above hit women equal to men, women have additional challenges. More often than not, prison often ignores the health needs of women. As I said before, 
But what this means is that breast and gynecological exams are often ignored or not available, meaning the rate of cancer could grow exponentially in prison if you don't test for those things. Also, prisons also, also ignore the need for prenatal and postpartum care, which is the level of care required by the Supreme Court case I mentioned above. It does seem that prisons are particularly unable to address the specific care needed by female inmates. You know, the issue of incarceration doesn't end when a person gets out of jail. You have to understand that the time spent in jail affects very much what happens when people are released. Thank you for listening. And please join me next time as we look at incarceration after jail and the social determinants of health.